The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know they expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I'm going to be talking to Tampa-based family lawyer, Seth Nelson. Seth is known for devising creative solutions to difficult problems. And the main thing we're going to be talking about today is divorce. You know, divorce is very prevalent in our society. So we're going to be talking to him about his experience and all things divorce. So Seth, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to hear your voice. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? I don't think I'm a lot different than most people. I get up every day, go to work, want to do a nice job for people, want to take some time for myself and make sure I exercise and eat healthy, spend quality time with family. And I think that's really important, especially with the job that I have, because I see so much destruction that people bring to their soon to be former spouses, maybe their former spouse, and most importantly, their kids and even themselves. Well, tell us, what made you want to get, you're a family lawyer, so what made you want to get into specifically divorce? I've always had a calling to help people. And there's a lot of different ways you could help people. A lot of just amazing guests that have been on your show have helped people through diagnosis and disease, have helped coach kids and see them blossom into young adults and adults. I've chosen to go into the law. My grandmother and my grandfather actually let, or excuse me, actually met in law school at Fordham Knight Law School. My grandmother, of course, in 1923, couldn't practice law because she was a woman. My uncle was a lawyer. My mother was a lawyer. And so I was kind of destined to be a lawyer. And there's many different areas of law that you can go into to help people. But I find helping families and trying to get them through probably one of the most difficult times in their lives has just um, been very fortunate to me. And when you get a thank you at the end of a case, or I'm a better parent, or I spend more quality time with my kid now, or I was really worried about how I was going to get divorced and still be able to retire. And when you get those thank yous, it kind of motivates you to get up the next day and do it all over again. Well, t- talk about how practicing divorce law is different than any other areas of law that can be practiced. It's one of the most emotional areas of the law. So you've heard this before. There's an attorney and counselor of law. 
And I focus a lot on that counseling part, not in a mental health way, or if someone needs is suffering from depression, you know, I want to get them to the right mental health professionals. But in Florida, and in all family law cases, we have what we call the shifting sands. That's a term that I use. And I'm going to compare and contrast that to a criminal case. In a criminal case, there's one question. What happened on the date in question? Was there a crime committed or not? It's all happened in the past. In a divorce case, the facts are always developing right up until trial or right up until the case hopefully resolves without trial. So a client might call me and say, my ex or my soon-to-be ex or my spouse is doing this with the children. What should I do? And I can help counsel them to say, well, is this a, you know, what level problem is this? What's our goals? What are our outcomes? What are we trying to achieve here? What's the best way to handle the situation? What are the different ways to handle the situation? Maybe we're picking, there's only bad things going on here. Let's pick the best of a bad group, right? So I like the fact that I can help counsel people through it, help them solve their problems and help them navigate the most difficult thing they might go through in their life, which is getting a divorce, separating their finances, separating their lives, separating their children from themselves or their spouse and figuring out how you can best parent kids when you're not living under the same roof. And I just find that very challenging. I find it very rewarding. And I find that being able to counsel those people through that process and the process is horrible. There's no getting around that. But if we can just make it a little bit easier or end it a little bit quicker, then maybe we can do some good thing for kids and parents. And even if you're going through divorce without kids. In your experience, what is the main reason that you see that people get divorced? It's going to sound like, really, that's it. It's communication. I do see a lot of mental illness and a lot of relationships that break up over that. Sometimes there's domestic violence. So I'm not talking about those types of cases, but I think most divorces come by a breakdown in communication. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's people not taking the time every day to spend quality time with their spouse. We get busy. We focus on our careers. We're worried about providing. We're worried about taking care of the children. We're going our separate ways. Our lives have grown apart and we can't find a way to reconnect. That's all communication. And I think it's vitally important that you maintain connectivity with your spouse on a daily basis. Now, whether that's getting up and having a cup of coffee in the morning together before things get crazy, whether that's making sure at night you have a glass of wine or a cup of tea or you have dinner together every night, whatever the case may be, maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you guys like to exercise together. Maybe it's just five minutes 
but that five minutes where you can connect and talk about your day or your hopes or your dreams or your fears and being able to communicate like, Hey, I just want to spend some time with you. And maybe I just want to complain about my day. I'm not asking you to fix anything. I just need someone to listen. Tell me it's going to be okay. Tomorrow will be better. But I think that breakdown in communication is the single most leading cause of divorce, barring any mental health issue or domestic violence issues. How long do divorces take to happen and how much do they cost? The average divorce time in my practice area is six months to 18 months. I know that's a wide range. And the reason it's a wide range is because you never know how many issues there are going to be to be resolved. If I have to go to a trial and I have to deal with a parenting plan, custody, visitation, division of assets, equitable distribution, alimony, how much money is one spouse going to pay the other spouse after their divorce and for how long, how much is child support going to cost? How about who pays for the whole litigation process and attorney's fees? If you're arguing about all that every step of the way and you have some lawyers who will not work together and try to get the case through the system quickly, that case can go on 18 months, two years, even longer. And it's horrible. I've had, and to answer your question about how much, Cases like that can cost tens of thousands of dollars. If there's complex financial issues, if people have been hiding money and you need to hire experts like a forensic accountant to dig into their checking accounts and credit card statements and someone owns a business and they're hiding money in the business and you have to do a business valuation. These cases, not all to the lawyers, but to the other experts involved, could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're hiring child custody evaluators, guardian ad litems, going to mediation, hiring a mediator more than once. Um, if you have to have supervised visitation and you have to pay people to watch you watch your kids, there's all these added expenses. I've also had cases that I've gotten wrapped up for a few grand. People agreed. We got a parenting plan drafted, signed. We got a marital settlement agreement, divided the assets talked about what we were doing about alimony, figured out the child support, all wrapped up, nice little bow on it, went to one hearing in front of a judge, took five minutes, uncontested, said, judge, we worked everything out, we've paperwork's all in order, and we've gotten it done. So I know that's a wide range, and a lot of that has to do with how much fighting there is between the parties and how much the lawyers can work together to solve problems as opposed to going to an adversarial system, which is our court system. Well, speaking of kids and money and all that type of stuff, how do the courts divide up custody and visitation and assets and debts? Uh, what is the process of determining all that? There's a lot to unpack in that great question, yours. First off, every jurisdiction, every state is different. So you've got listeners all over. So you need to check with your local jurisdiction. In Florida, and this is the general concept around the country, but there's nuances in all of it. In Florida, you don't have custody and visitation. We call it time sharing. Where do the children spend their time? And to have that, you need to have a parenting plan. 
So if you think of the word peace, P-E-A-C-E, those are those five issues, which you've basically just asked about. There's a parenting plan. There's 20 different items, factors that the judge will consider in determining a parenting plan. Anything from which parent is most likely to work with the other parent and be flexible where needed. Is there any drug or alcohol problems we need to know about? Are you involving the children in the litigation? Which parent traditionally held what role? But can the other parent do those roles? Because it's not just about, well, I've always done it. Well, you had a family dynamic where you had some roles, your spouse had others, and now that's changing. Is there any domestic violence? Is there any domestic violence in front of the children? So there's all the, what's the school and community record of the children? How far apart do the parents live now? And what's the viability of having time sharing every few days? Or is it too far to get a kid to school in the morning? So there's all these different factors that the court will consider in developing a parenting plan. People will come in and say, I want 50-50. And that's a position. I was divorced when my son was just two and a half. I didn't fight for, nor did I have a 50-50 timeshare. And if you put it on paper, I had him 42% of the time. I've never looked at my son and thought of him as a percentage of time. I want to spend the quality time. And we have a great relationship. He's about to be 18. Courts will never be able to give you quality time. They're just going to give you time. It's up to you what you do with it. And then when you divide the assets, that's called equitable distribution. You get a list of the assets. You get a list of the debts. You determine whether they're marital debts or marital assets. If I took out law school loans before I was married, and I still have those loans when I'm married, those were my debts before marriage. So when we get divorced, my spouse doesn't have to pay for half my debts that I took on before marriage. I'm responsible for those. But if I was married and going to law school, and during the marriage, I took out those law school loans, in Florida, she's responsible for half those loans, even though obviously I'm getting the benefit because I got the education. In other jurisdictions, that's different. Who's going to get the house? Got to buy the other person out of the equity of the house. Do you have to get their name off the house, the note, the mortgage? How are you going to do that? Can you refinance? And they go through this process and they put it on a what's called a schedule of equitable distribution. That's just fancy words for an Excel spreadsheet. And we determine if it's marital or non-marital, what's the value and who's going to get it. And then you try to make it equitable at the end. Alimony is always a hot topic. That's what okay. I was going to ask next about uh -huh. alimony and child it's, support. Yep. That's the P, the E, the A, the C. You're going right down the list. Um, alimony is always a hot topic. In Florida today which might be different a week from now or 15 days from now because the Florida legislature just passed an alimony reform bill. But sitting here today, it is based on someone's need and the other person's ability to pay. So how do you define what someone's need is? Well, what do we typically spend during the marriage on that person to sustain them in the same standard of living? Not for the children, but what's the rent or the mortgage? the car, the car payment, the insurance, how often, you know, do they have Netflix and what are they doing for, you know, 
for subscriptions and going to the gym and groceries and what about anything from car car insurance health insurance life insurance do you have homeowners insurance taxes on your house you just go on and on and on it's a very exhaustive list how much do they spend getting their hair done how much for grooming how much for gifts how much for clothes how much is their gas every month you just get this whole big list i call it the overall need and then you look at what they earn or could earn. You subtract it. If they have savings at the end of the month, they don't need alimony. They can support themselves. If they're short every month, let's say they're short by three grand. Well, now we have an alimony need. Then you do the same analysis for the other spouse and see if they have the ability to pay that hypothetical three grand. It's different in every state. The concepts are generally the same. It's a lot of math. I'm a numbers guy. I like that. But it's always hot, hotly contested. And child support gets a little easier because there's a mathematical formula in Florida. And so once you start plugging in the numbers to the formula, then it spits out a number. But those inputs, those numbers we have to plug in, that's where people start to argue. How many overnights does each parent get? That's part of the equation. That's why they're going to argue over that customer visitation that we call timesharing. What's their net incomes? If you have a W-2 employee, it's pretty easy to figure out their net income. If you got someone that owns a business, it can get a little more tricky. If you've got someone that gets stock options, how do we judge those? Are they income or are they not? How do you allocate it? So it can get very complicated very quickly. Who pays the kid's health insurance? What's your health insurance? but you plug it all in, it's a mathematical formula, it spits out a number. So let's say a person wants and needs to get a divorce, but they can't afford an attorney. Uh, what do you do in that case? How do they That's, handle that? It's a great question. You're not required to have an attorney to get a divorce and the state will not provide one for you. It's not a criminal case. So if you don't have an attorney, it's called pro se. You're representing yourself. And they'll have a case manager that will try to help you through the process and fill out the proper forms. There's some legal organizations that will put on forms clinics and help you fill out the forms. Sometimes if you just don't have the money, um, people will pay for a lawyer on a credit card. Sometimes they'll say, I don't have any cash flow. I'm really... Every paycheck, I'm living paycheck to paycheck, but I've got equity in my house and we're going to sell the house at the end. Will you wait to get paid? But it's very, very difficult. And unfortunately, in our society, people with more substantial means can usually hire the lawyers. And then sometimes if you don't have much money at all, then you can get some assistance from different organizations, but a far majority of the people in the middle who are hardworking, honest people that just are going through a rough time in their life, they just can't afford it. And there's no little legal services to help them. And they're kind of out there on a boat without a rudder. And it's, it's a shame. Well, talk about mediation. Tell us, what For those who don't know, tell us what that is and how that works. So a mediator 
is an independent, neutral third party. And their job is not to make any decisions. That's not what they do. And I've mediated. I'm a certified Florida family law mediator, certified by the Florida Supreme Court. And what I do when I'm wearing my mediator hat is picture a wife in a conference room with her attorney and a husband in a separate conference room with his attorney. I never bring them together. It's too emotional. And my job is to go from room to room, back and forth, identify the issues that they are bringing to me. I don't create them. I don't ask if there's any others. I don't say, hey, did you don't forget about this because I can't insert myself like that. Tell me what the issues are and let me see if I can get an agreement. And the way I would do that is people get positional. I want the house. Okay. Explain to me why it's so important for you to have the house. What is it that makes you say, I want the house? And then if they say, well, because the kids are in a good school district and, and I want them to stay in that school district. Okay, well, one way to do that is to stay in the house. But another way to do that is to sell the house and get a different house in the same school district. So we might just have to talk those issues through. And I don't take a position that one is right, one is wrong, one is good, one is bad. I just try to work the problems. And I go back and forth from room to room and try to narrow the issues, narrow the issues. And ultimately, their lawyers will tell me what to draft on the legal document the parenting plan or the marital settlement agreement. And then the mediator will be the scrivener and draft it out. Lawyers review it. Hopefully everyone signs it and people can get their case done. That's different than a judge. A judge will make the decisions. They don't try to bridge the gap. They get presented with the case. They go. And also mediation is all confidential. You want to put your best offer forward. You want to talk openly and honestly to help resolve your case. And that's why we keep it confidential because you don't want something said in mediation to come back and hurt you if you don't resolve your case and now you have to go to trial. So even though you're spending, you know, your days in court and stuff, you also have a podcast. So tell us about that and what you do on your podcast. Well, it's, you talk so, about? it's kind of you to ask. It's, uh, it's called How to Split a Toaster. It's a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. It's 100% about the divorce, the divorce process, what people go through. Um, but we will talk about things that don't happen in court. It's not a quote unquote legal podcast where I'm going to sit there and drone on and on and on and try to tell you how to solve your case or what the intricacies and nuances of our Florida family law. We might talk to you about, hey, you're getting a divorce. We had an interior designer on to talk about how you set up two separate houses so kids feel comfortable at both houses. We've talked to a lot of different amazing people that have set up support groups for people going through divorce. We've talked to mediators. We've talked to parent coordinators. We've talked to guardian ad litems. We've talked to other lawyers that have litigated against me, opposing counsel. We just taped a podcast today about that and what's wrong with our system and how to improve it. We might talk about, we just had one recently about how do you pay for college? 
What do the colleges look at when you're applying for financial aid if parents are divorced? We've gotten a lot of great feedback. We've gotten a lot of listener questions and engagement. And I just throw it out there to the world. And um, it's, a, it's been, a, been a lot of fun. And it's a serious topic. And we just try to bring some levity to it with my co-host, Pete Wright, who is brilliant and asks really inquisitive questions. Well, you just helped me think of a couple of inquisitive questions. Actually, it'll be a two-part question. You talked about what, what is wrong with the system and, and how to fix it. So, so kind of tell us about that and also about the college thing. What do the colleges look at if you have separate parents and financial issues? Well, I'll do the college one first. It depends on the college. So some colleges, if you're applying from financial aid, will say, we need to see the finances of both parents, whether you're divorced or not. And if you're divorced and one parent won't give it, the college can't make them do that. But the college is not then required to give that student financial aid. So it's just a shame if a parent's not going to produce their finances to help a child get financial aid. Some colleges will say, I'm going to look to the custodial parent or the parent that has the child the most time. And we're just going to look for their finances. And if the other parent doesn't want to give their finances, we're not looking at that. We're going to focus on the one parent. But as you know, people get remarried. So they look at the whole household. So they might look at the actual mom. And if the mom remarried, they might look at stepdad's finances as well. And you can find this information usually in the financial aid section on college's website, but you got to look for it. Now, what's wrong with the legal system? The problem with the legal system when it comes to divorce, it's an adversarial system. That's what our legal system is based upon. So immediately you're putting parents or people that are own property together, share pets together, live together against each other. And I don't think that's the best way to solve problems. And if I can get a good lawyer on the other side, that's about problem solving and try to keep our clients out of court and solve their problems of parenting, equitable distribution, alimony, child support, paying the fees for all this process, then you can get somewhere. But when you put two people in a trial with lawyers who are going to advocate for their clients, which by definition means they're against the other client, those parents are going to hate each other walking out of that courtroom. And that's not going to help their kids. And I have litigated difficult cases against great lawyers because we couldn't get our clients to settle, though we both tried. I'm friends with those lawyers today. I don't take things personally. I don't hold grudges against lawyers or if a judge makes a mistake or what clients say or do. I'm doing my job. I'm doing my best. But those lawyers might walk out and still be friends, but those parents won't. And those parents are not going to sit next to each other during sporting events class plays, award ceremonies, and that's going to hurt that kid. So I think the system 
immediately puts them adversarial when that's not what a divorce should be. You're having a rough time enough. It's hard enough. You're getting divorced for a reason. Let's not make it worse by throwing you into the Coliseum to battle it out. Absolutely. Do you have any current or upcoming projects that people need to know about? Well, we're working really hard within our firm to always uh, stay focused on, on the clients and improving our systems. We just hired a wonderful woman, uh, Lawana Versi, who is our chief operating officer, who's helping us always improve our systems and be more streamlined to keep the cost down for our clients. That's really exciting. It's not something that you can really see from the outside, but it's really having a impactful impact uh, on how we practice law and help our clients. The podcast is always, um, as you know, a lot of fun to do. It takes a lot of work. People don't see the behind the scenes and with my producers and, and sourcing guests and getting guests. And I was so thankful to have you reach out to me to, to be on your show. And um, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be able to talk about what I'm passionate about and spread the word on other people's podcasts. So and then I try to spend quality time with, uh, with my family, which is always, uh, always a, a work in progress. Well, I'm definitely glad to have you on. I'm sure a lot of my listeners have a lot of divorce questions. And speaking of that, give out your contact information to where people can connect with you and see what you're doing. And maybe uh, if you got some resources. Absolutely. So you can always reach me. Um, at Seth at NelsonCoster.com. That's N-E-L-S-O-N-K-O-S-T-E-R. Um, if you just Google how to split a toaster, we're going to pop up as a divorce podcast on, and you can uh, look there and, and email us and ask questions. And I'm just always available. The office number is 813-350-7890. And even on the website, I have it where potential clients can click and make an appointment and uh, divorce doesn't happen from nine to five. So I try to make myself available after hours and on the weekends as well, while still making time for my family. And what's that website? It's www.nelsoncoster.com. That's N-E-L-S-O-N-K-O-S-T-E-R.com. But also we're on Facebook and Instagram and how to split a toaster and you'll find us. Well, hopefully no listeners listening to this show or this episode are planning on getting a divorce right now, but in case you are, or you know somebody that is planning on getting one, share this episode to as many people as possible so they can get their questions answered. Nelson is a great attorney. He gave us a lot of good information. So I want to thank him for joining us and say, listeners, if you are an Android user, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Nelson, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.